Well, this is Mother's Day. You've kind of hit the season of the year where we get a lot of holidays, at least holidays that I like to observe. And Mother's Day, of course, is not specifically a Christian holiday, but it's a Christian idea, isn't it? That we should honor and remember our mothers. Galatians 4 verse 18 says, It is good to be made much of for a good purpose. And so, mamas, we're going to make much of you today. And uh, it's for a good purpose. We wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for you. And I mean that quite literally. Now, I also like to take Mother's and Father's Day, not just to talk about moms and dads, that's important, but to address issues of gender, sexuality, and marriage in the church. Because there is such a wealth of confusion and perversion surrounding these things, gender, sexuality, marriage today, I think it is important in this generation to take time twice a year to assert God's truth. And we don't say the same things every time, but to talk about these subjects and to shore up the foundations lest we start getting our ideas about these things from our political buddies and not from the Word of God. So we're going to examine today what the Bible says about how to treat one another in the marriage relationship. And I think this is appropriate on a Mother's Day because we need to know how to treat our mothers, and mothers need to know, too, how to treat their husbands. And if you've been around church for some time, and I read this verse, you're going to know exactly where I'm going with this. This is not an old message. This one's a classic. And for that reason, I'm excited to get into it, because it's a classic for a reason. And you will see how far ahead of everybody else the Lord was when he was writing his scripture down. Will you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5? And I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. This is the last verse of this chapter. And you might say, well, I'm not married. Okay, you might be someday. So you've got to work on that and get ready to be that person. Or you might say, I don't think I'm ever going to get married. All right, well, you know just as well as I do that this issue is under attack in the church. You need to know what the Word says. You also need to make sure you haven't developed any sort of arrogance or prideful feelings about marriage if you've never participated in it, or if you did and it ended, we need to go back to the word. So this is something for all of us, really. Verse 33, he says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Title today is The Same Love Different, because that's what husbands and wives show to each other. They show the same love, but they show it differently, because the other person needs that same love differently. He says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is Paul's summary statement of the longer instruction in chapter 5 concerning husbands and wives. Ephesians has what's called a household section. A lot of Paul's uh, letters have this where it'll go through the husbands, the wives, the children, the parents, the servants, and everybody in the house. Here's how you're to conduct yourself towards one another. And he tells Husbands to love their wives, and wives to respect their husbands. I want you to notice at the beginning that there are different commandments given to husbands and wives. That they are told to do what is essentially the same thing, but they are different commandments. Husbands, love your wives, and wives, respect your husbands. Because I'm going to drop a, a bombshell on you here. Men and women are different from one another. Who knew what an outstanding statement that would be one day? 
that wouldn't say, well, yeah, of course they're different. However, we're living in a day where everything, not just male and female, but especially right now, is being described as on a spectrum. There's no, you can't say man and woman. It's just, there's a line of what you can be, and that you're either closer to this end or closer to that end. But that, that is... That is simply nonsense. We all know that to be true, and we need to remember that sometimes. Men and women are different. God made it that way. Now, a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy chapter 22, I went through the thing I'm about to go through quickly in great detail. So if you want to get more into this, you can check out our study in Deuteronomy 22. But the, the modern gender theory, the gender activism, divides up a person's sexuality into three parts. Biological sex, gender uh, identity, and gender expression. And I, I hope you all realize that the devil has a lie for every generation. But the Lord is smarter than the devil is. And he put things in there ahead of time. So even though these, these things are so-called scientific, although just because you publish a paper about it doesn't make it scientific, and it doesn't certainly make it true, the Lord has an answer for how a Christian is to handle these things even within that structure being given. So the first verse we look at very quickly now is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, which says, When God created man, he created him in the image of God, and he created him male and female. He created them man and woman, husband and wife, ish and isha in Hebrew. That God created male and female. So what does this apply to the current theory? The biological binary is God-given and very good. God looked at everything he had made and said, that is very good. So when we see this opposite, literal opposite, male and female, that that is a good thing, it's the way God made it. And there are certain people that are born with birth defects of various kinds, where they can be hermaphroditic perhaps and have both sets of genitalia and those sorts of things. That exception does not disprove the rule. And such people should be given your sympathy, not used as a political flag to wave in the air. God created male and female, XX and XY, and it's very good, okay? The next one, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul makes a passing comment that is very interesting for us. In 1 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15, Paul said, Does not nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is shameful for him, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? Now, I'm not going to even touch the hair issue right now. The whole point that he's getting at is there are certain things about our gender that nature teaches us. So, we are what the critics would call biological essentialists. Now you say, I don't even understand this. Well, this is what he means when you say someone can be biologically male but identify as a female. Meaning my gender, I identify my gender as separate from my sex as female or male depending on what the case may be. The Bible tells us your gender is essentially tied to your biology. That we learn how we are to live as male or female from our biology. Because God made it that way. Nature teaches us that way. And the third piece of that is what's called gender expression. Meaning you can be born male, identify as female, and yet still act male through your gender expression. And that's perfectly alright. Which is why you get these infinite variances of different sexualities. Well, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, says that if a man wears a woman's cloak or if a woman wears a man's garment, it is an abomination. So this is saying even the way that they dress is to be tied to one's gender, which is tied to one's biology. If you want to theoretically divide up the human sexuality into those three pieces, as far as God is concerned, God says, you do that all you want, but it all still must be tied to how I have created it. If you are born male, 
You are a man, and you are to act manly. You see that three-step there? If you are a woman, you are female, you're a girl, you're a lady, and you need to act ladylike, shall we say. So I, I realize that this is you know, maybe not the kind of thing we like to talk about so much, but it's in the air, it's in the schools, it's in the books, it's on TV. The Lord has answers for all of these things. And it doesn't matter if somebody wants to try to divvy it up, because people go to college and you hear somebody stand up there, these professors, and they seem so intimidating and so smart, and they want to shame you for acting and believing certain ways. Okay, even if I buy into your premise, the Bible has already told me the answers, okay? And enough of this, this gender nonsense. And I recognize there are people that are caught up in this and that are hurt and broken, but it, it push has come to shove. And the church has got to take a hard, firm stand on this and say, this is how God made it, and this is how it is to be. Certainly in God's church, if you are born a man, you are a man, and you must act like one. And if you are born a woman, you are a woman, and you must act like one. This is what you get, though, when you remove the foundation of God's word. Now, we can point to the political and the philosophical foundations of those things. I'm less interested in that. I'm more interested in how we've gotten away from what the Bible teaches about these things. The, the Lord has already given us the answers for this. Now, and we're not going to camp out on this. I told you, I've already gone on in detail to talk about this. I wanted to make our position very plain and very clear here in case it wasn't already. I'm pretty sure it was. But we cannot sit here and say, yes, amen to that, Tyler. Hallelujah. And then come to marriage and treat marriage like everybody else does. This is the problem. Folks would come and say, well, yeah, it's crazy that somebody thinks that there's more than two genders. You don't get credit for that, guys. You're not going to get to heaven. Well, God, I believed in male and female. What's he going to say? Wow! That's amazing! God's going to go, okay, fine. That's obvious. And it is obvious. What you need to do is stand on God's word in all things. Many people are always wanting to rock the, the clock back to the, before the newest thing. Yeah, let's go, but no, trans stuff, no, but you know, uh, homosexuality, yes. Or homosexuality now, but fornication and free divorce, yes. You, you don't get to do that, guys. You've got to rip up the whole thing, root and branch, and stand on the word. Therefore, knowing one issue where this has become so dangerous and so deadly, we need to have that same insistence for every issue. And today we're talking about marriage. And so we need to look to the Bible, to what God has to say. And in case you didn't know, God has quite a bit to say about marriage in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. You all are probably familiar with this story. This is after God has created everything except girls. And the Lord said, it is not good. And most of the men would say, yeah, that would not be good. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. A lot of the, well, the older translation says help meet. We kind of take that as one word sometimes, a help meet. Meet is an ancient old like Shakespearean word that means fitting or suitable. So I will make a help that is meet for him, that is able to meet him where he is. That's where those words move. So a helper fit for him. Verses 19 and 20, he looks through all the animals, and Adam says, you've got to be kidding me. So verse 21, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. When he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. What do we get from this? Marriage is God's idea. 
I've seen a lot of folks lately that I will like, yeah, man, hey, I really like what you're having to say about this. And they go, well, marriage is something we made up anyway. It's, not, it's, it's just in the Bible. God never said to you, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. God created marriage. That means God understands marriage. And fellas, God has an opinion on marriage. God goes, this predates sin. This predates the fall. This predates everything. This predates even the commandment not to eat the forbidden fruit marriage does. And it's amazing how we've lived in this very, this very sexually liberated and very feminized culture that people now are starting to, to use a biblical term, grope along the wall like the blind back to biblical marriage. Have you seen this? It's astonishing. You see this, for example, in the way people are pushing the, the laws regarding consent. Have you seen that? People are concerned about rape and sexual assault. Good, you should be. And they say, well, really, we shouldn't be having just wild, drunken sex like this. And we're like, we've been on that. And you told us we were bigots for it, right? So really what you need to have is, is like a contract. There are apps on your phone where you can, like, you can consent to sexual activity with each other. And it's like, if only there was some sort of way to do that and, and stay together forever so that neither person feels like they're being cheated or cheapened. And it's called marriage. You're slowly finding your way back to this. And eventually they're going to probably come up with contracts and then they're going to say, well, we need tax benefits. And like, you just invented marriage again. <laughs> but you also see this on the opposite side where after generation after generation of the feminists smacking men across the face and saying, what about our needs? Now, especially on the internet, you got a lot of guys standing up and saying, all right, we're not going to shut up about this anymore. And you're seeing this a lot where guys are saying, this is who we are, this is what we like, this is how we love, and I'm done putting up with this. And you listen to it and you go, wow, there's a lot to agree with in here until you listen too long and then it becomes a problem because it's the world. And because these things are embedded in us as people, God made it. And here's the thing, you don't have to go along with these folks to find out how to do marriage and how to do relationships and how to do male and female. God's already told us. And it can be exasperating as a Christian. You're like, yeah, I suppose I'm with you on this one. So why didn't you just listen to me when I told you not to go down that road in the first place? Well, Paul gives us this one verse synopsis of all his teaching on marriage when he says, let each one of you love his wife as himself, let the wife see that she respects her husband, this takes us right back to basics. That's kind of an introductory statement to remind us of the truth of Scripture on these things. But we're going to look at each piece of this now. That husbands and wives show the same love to each other, but they show it differently because they need it differently. And we're going to spend some time looking at the wives and what they need. We spend some time looking at the husbands and what they need. And then we're going to wrap it up and come to a conclusion. The first thing he says is, speaking to husbands, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So what is a husband to do for his wife? He is to love her. And in one sense, there's really nothing too deep to this definition. You know, sometimes you dig into the Greek and you're like, wow, I had no idea. We're going to see another one of those in a minute. But I mean, love just means love here. It's the word agape, which we know that means a deep, profound, spiritual love. It actually didn't even mean that until the Christians got hold of it and imbued it with all this amazing meaning. But it's, it's love. Love means personal affection for somebody else. So gentlemen, you are to show personal affection towards your wife. However, by putting this in distinction to respect, what this does is it... it helps define what he means in this context here. 
in the passage before this, he uses words for the husbands like nourish and cherish. He even uses words like cleansing, washing with water. These are very tender words. And this should be no surprise to us because that is exactly what women need from you, gentlemen, to have a tender, personal affection for your wife. And every poll that's ever been done, and there was a very famous Christian book written called this a few years ago, have not read it, so I can't speak for it, but we know this to be true. Most women would rather be loved than respected if they had to pick. I've done premarital counseling without fail. Without fail. Ladies, you have to be loved or respected. Oh, loved. Oh, certainly loved. God knew what he was talking about, didn't he? As we come along and we say, aha, we have discovered through years of intense psychological study that women prefer love to respect. It's like, well, God said that a long time ago and everybody kind of knew that. Don't you love it when these studies come out and everyone's kind of like, well, yeah. There was an opportunity to write a book and make money off of that idea. Then I, I was in the wrong line of business, apparently. God knew what he was talking about. When he brought Eve to Adam, he was to look after her. He was to tend to her like he was to tend to the garden of God. You treat your wife differently than you treat other people, gentlemen. We treat her tenderly and sweetly and kindly with love. I mean, well, that's not really how I show love. Well, that's how you need to learn how to show love, gentlemen. Well, we'll stand up for you in a minute. For right now, we're talking about what she needs from you. Now, there's two errors to avoid here. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the errors, but let's get into the ways you can do this wrong. <clears throat> the first one is instead of love is acquiescence. This is to equate love with passivity. Love means giving her everything she wants, never putting my foot down, never saying what we're going to do, never being stern, never raising my voice, just kind of bowing aside and letting, letting her do whatever she wants to do. <clears throat> to abdicate your role as a husband, which is to lead, and we know that to be true. This is definitely the cultural push and has been for a long time. Never insist on something with your wife. Never get loud with your wife. And God forbid you ask your wife for a sandwich. <laughs> now you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about, don't you? How many sitcoms have you watched where the husband comes in and he says something like, hey babe, can you go make me a sandwich? And she just gives him a look. And the whole audience goes, oh, like, how dare you? Okay, that's not what we're talking about here, okay? That's not love. That's servility. Gentlemen, you should be ashamed of yourself. And can I say, guys, who have done this before? You've all done it at one time or another, whether or not we're living in it. But if you've done this, don't you feel ashamed of yourself when you do that? What did I let her do? I don't let anybody talk to me that way. What did I let her talk to me that way for? All right. Well, she's probably feeling similar things after a while. I'll never forget this, and she doesn't mind me telling this story, but when we first got married, my wife and I, no, I'm serious, she doesn't mind me telling this story. <laughs> this, is, this is what I'm telling you, oh, you can't say anything about your, this, okay, all right? When we first got married, I was trying to, be, of course, be tender and sweet and kind to my wife, and, you know, I was just kind of like, okay, I guess we'll do that, and then, you know, one time, I'll never forget that she said, just, you know, we we're talking about marriage and, you know, all this, and she goes, I just, you, know, you know, sometimes I need you just to step in and put me in my place. I go, what? <laughs> because what was happening? I was unsatisfied because I was not taking my role as the leader. And she was unsatisfied because I wasn't taking my role as a leader. I thought I was, this is what love looks like. And she's sitting there going, but what happens if there comes a time where he needs to step up? What, 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 am I supposed to now be the boss of this thing now? I thought that was up to him. So guys, 
that's, don't, don't be that way. Don't be the one always stepping aside. Well, I, just, I, let her, I let her decide she's smarter than me. Guys, it doesn't matter if she's smarter than you. You need to lead. She wants you to lead. Number two, the opposite error is harshness. This is obvious, right? Instead of love to be harsh with your wife, you ever see somebody out in public and the way he talks to his woman and you think, what is it like when they are at home and there ain't people around? It's concerning, isn't it? I've done all manner of service jobs. I've been in people's houses. I've been a waiter. I've done all this. And you see the way people talk to each other when they think that the wait staff can't hear what they're saying. Harshness. To completely disregard the commandment. To not treat your wife as a gentle creature and to insist that she acts just like you. To look out only for yourself. This is the, where the push uh, and that, that online thing I was talking about is just do your own thing and she can come along if she wants. Well, that's not biblical, is it? This is the wife beater. This is the, the man, the coward that would stoop down to striking his wife. That, that is, I, I don't need to explain to you how awful that is. You, you don't strike your wife, ever, for any reason. This is also the guy that's going to flaunt what he does and who he is and step out and say, I'm going to do what I want. If you don't like it, there's the door. This is where I'm afraid things will go if we do not biblically correct so we can overcorrect against feminism, of which I am not a fan, and go all the way, yeah, therefore, that's why we just get to be a caveman all the time, right? Now, we, not, we need to get some pieces of that, but don't overreact to being a harsh husband. That's not biblical. That's not good. That's not manly. That's not tough. And very often, you will find, it is not the big, strong, burly guys that act this way to their women. It is the guys that are insecure and don't feel like they have anything going for them in life and kind of get pushed around by everybody else. And then they go home, well, I'm going to get what I need here. Don't be this way, guys. I don't know that anybody in this room is. If you are, cut it out, would you? All right. That's how Paul would say it. Cut it out, would you? But let's look at the right way to do this, okay? How do we love our wives? We're not going to just acquiesce and bow and just be a doormat for the woman in our life. And we're certainly not going to shove her around and be harsh. But... How do we do this? There's four ways if you're taking notes. And I'm going to draw these right from the text here. To be sacrificial in our love for our wives. Paul says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he's our example. Gentlemen, we are to give of ourselves. I've known men that have gone into marriage that have this determination. She's not getting anything out of me. We'll be together. We'll have children. We'll have a family. But you're never going to know me. Sorry, guys. not how it works. You sacrifice. You sacrifice your time for this woman. You sacrifice your energy for this woman. And yes, gentlemen, it is good and godly and manly to give up some of your dreams and desires for this woman. Saying yes to her is saying no to everybody else for the rest of your life. And, you know, ladies, this might not be easy to hear, but that's hard for guys sometimes. When they get married and it's been a while and it's like, I'm going to be with the same woman for the rest of my life. And it's not that he wants to leave. It's just the thought of what could have been can be haunting. But gentlemen, you give it up so that you can provide love for her. This means, yeah, you're going to get out and you're going to have to work longer hours than you'd want to. This means you're going to have to maybe work fewer hours than you'd want to so you can get home and be with her. This means you're going to have to earn so that you can provide not just for yourself, but for her and whatever little ducklings may come along after her. All right? Ladies, can I just say this to you in passing? Do not discount the other loves that your husband has given up for you. 
If he says, I'm going to say no to that career or to that opportunity or to that person or to whatever it might be, this hobby, this thing that I enjoy because this is what she and the family need, don't discount that. Because that's how he shows love, is by giving things up. He's happy to do it for you. Make sure he knows that you appreciate that. Number two, it's got to be a spiritual love. Paul says, through the washing of water by the word, that we present our wives before the Lord without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing. As my dad loves to say, therefore, if your wife has wrinkles, they're your fault because you're supposed to present her to God without those. (laughs) Guys, you're supposed to prepare your wife to be ready for judgment day. That's on you. That's on you to get your wife ready for judgment day. That God is going to ask you about her. You say, all right. Tell me about your wife. Well, you know what kind of problems she's got, Lord. He goes, okay, well, you were in charge of that, so what's your excuse? Washing with water by the word. Take spiritual responsibility for your wife. Check her spiritual temperature. See, if you feel like she's drifting, if she's becoming bitter and sarcastic toward the things of God, if you know that Bible's just been gathering dust, if you've noticed that some old habits are starting to creep back up, guys, that's on you. Pick it up and say, we're going to work on this together. Other things might have to take a pause while that is dealt with. Don't defer this to your wife. And this is a very common thing where guys go, I mean, she's the spiritual leader. I'll come along, but that's, that's her thing. And that's, that's kind of standard, I think. The wife gets really excited about church. The husband goes and writes the tithe checks and everybody's okay. That's not how it is to be, everybody. This is why young men begin to see it as a rite of passage to leave the church, because dad left. So when I'm becoming a man, it's time for me to not be interested in church any longer. And please, I'm begging you, don't ever come to me, guys, and say, well, she's the spiritual one. Uh, she's, she keeps me on the straight and narrow. Without her, I don't know. Uh, and I, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to lead, but she's just so much better at it than I. Come on, guys. Step up. That's your job. Well, I'm not good at it. Then get good. It's God, you guys. It's the most important thing. Take spiritual responsibility for your family, for your wife, for your children. Watch over her soul. Give her what she needs. Make decisions for your family, not just based on what's the most fun or what allows us to have the most money or the most extracurricular activities for the children. What is going to cause this family to grow spiritually? Number three is a supportive love. These all start with S. Do you like that? Supportive love. This is the obvious one. He said, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. We're to protect and provide for our wives. And people will say, that's just, that's just male chauvinism, that you just think you have to protect and provide for her. Okay, ignore those people, guys. Their opinion doesn't matter in your life. She's the helper that God brought you. It is your job, still your job, from Genesis to rise, fill the earth, and subdue it. And she's going to be right there with you. Do it for her. It is amazing what happens to irresponsible young men when the right girl comes along. I mean, oh, I don't know what's going to happen with this boy. He's just, he doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to go anywhere. He's just so lazy, and I can't even get him to brush his hair. And now all of a sudden, he's up by himself brushing not just his hair, but his teeth in the morning. <laughs> Why? Because there's a girl involved now. Now, now I get it. Why would I want to go and work a nine-to-five job? I'm not going to, oh, that's why. <laughs> She's why. Because I'm going to provide something for her. A lot of guys would be perfectly content to camp for the rest of their lives. <laughs> I might be one of those people. 
But when there is somebody that you're there to not only to protect and provide for, to protect and provide against poverty, protect and provide against bad neighbors, protect and provide against worry. This is why guys like to buy nice things for their wives. It's a demonstration to them. You don't have to worry about anything. I've got it. Guys, you've got that in you. Go for it. She'll make it worth it. This is what gives you permission to get up and get after it every morning. Because you know you've got that woman waiting at home. She's making that house of yours into a home. And it's your job to get out there and provide and protect her. It's a supportive love. Number four is a sentimental love. And all the guys go, you're on such a roll, Tyler. And then you said sentimental. I don't know how many guys that would put on their list of attributes they'd like to be said of them. Sentimental. But these all start with S and we're going to go for it. You are to emotionally take care of your wife, tenderly take care of your wife. You've got to listen to her. You've got to listen to her. She must have been talking to you before the service. No, no. You've got to make her feel special. Take the time to do kind things for her. And, and here's the deal. And, and women, you need to remember this too. All right? Guys communicate differently than women do. And there's a reason guys not surround themselves with female friends. Because the way we like to talk, it's very business. My average conver phone conversation is like 50 seconds. <laughs> and even then, I'm like, man, that took forever, you know? That could have been an email. That could have been a text, right? <laughs> so when your wife begins to speak, guys, the temptation is to start to just kind of like, you know, this look here. <laughs> I know where this is going, right? Okay. So, but it's your wife. This is the one woman in the world that you are to show that kind of love to. You might say, well, I, just, I, I can't stand that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm a man. I don't listen to this kind of... That's your wife, fellas. If you expect her to love you in the way you need to be loved, you need to love her in the way she needs to be loved. You need to try to be romantic every once in a while. And ladies, if he tries that and doesn't do a good job, don't you dare throw it in his face. You'll never see him do that again. If he buys you flowers on Valentine's Day, what, carnations, no roses? You're like, all right, next year you can get a high five. How's that? <laughs> you have an opportunity to show this kind of love to her that no one else is ever going to receive. You're going to talk sweeter and kinder to your woman than you'll ever talk to anybody else. And if you, you may even said to your wife sometimes, like, don't ever tell my friends that I talk to you that way. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to have a serious problem. Because you're supposed to show her that kind of emotional love. To take care of her. When she's sad, to be there and be sad with her and be strong for her. Not to become like one of her girlfriends, but to be a man, a rock that is there for her. That she knows when I've got all this stuff, I can go to him and he's got it. An emotional love for your wife. So there it is. Sacrificial, spiritual, supportive, and sentimental. 1 Peter 3 verse 7, the apostle said, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. What does that mean? Understand she's not one of the guys. And you don't want her to be one of the guys. Because the minute she starts to become like one of the guys, you get upset. And you say, I married a woman. I didn't marry a bro. What's going on here? But you made her that way. Don't do that. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You know your prayers can be hindered because of the way you treat your wife? Oops. <laughs> Guys, love your wives. You have all of this masculine strength and drive and ambition and fire and ability to set aside your feelings in the moment to do the right thing and analyze things logically. 
Use all of that. Leverage every bit of that strength to love your wife well, the way she needs to be loved. Well, I will also say, ladies, you need to recognize that sometimes, even if it's not the way you would have wanted it, he is showing love to you and receive it in the spirit with which it was intended. The classic one, right? I told him my problems. All he wants to do is try to fix it because he likes you. You're upset. What are we going to do? We're going to fix the thing that's upsetting you, and then you won't be upset anymore. Because he just doesn't want to hear me talk. No, that's not it, ladies. It's because he loves you, and he doesn't want to see you upset. Now, so if you get in that situation, well, he just tried to fix it. Okay, yeah. Guys, this is a classic one. Just sit there and listen, all right? That's what they like. I don't know. That's what they like, all right? But ladies, you also can recognize, you know what? I married a problem solver, and he really likes me, and he's willing to take all of those skills and all that fire and all that passion he has to use it for me. And maybe later I'll let him know, hey, all I really wanted to do was vent. But for right now, I can accept it in the spirit with which it was intended, right? It's the same love, different. All right, let's move on now. Second, talking to the wives. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ladies, love to a man is spelled R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's not, that's not Greek there. That's English. <laughs> love for a man is spelled R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And this one actually does have an interesting Greek word behind it. The word for respect is the word phobeo, which is where we get words like phobia. It means fear. Let the wife see that she fears her husband like you fear the Lord. Older translations say that she reverence her husband. But the word is fear. This is describing that reverence, that deference, even veneration or awe toward your husband. That's not me making it up. That's the word the Holy Spirit put in there. And now we say, okay, husbands have to love their wives more than themselves and to give themselves up. Yeah, but to actually like revere my husband, well, that's a little over the top, don't you think? That's your culture talking. That's not scripture. That's your culture talking. Paul compares the marriage relationship to the church and Christ. So it's interesting. Sometimes ladies will say, well, it's not like he's God. Well, Bob, Paul says you should treat him like the church treats Christ. Obviously, he's not God. But your relationship to him is to mirror that of your relationship to God. I'll just say this, I mean, right off the top. Ladies, if you fear and revere your husband and start doing it actively and often and consistently, his heart is going to grow so big like the Grinch, he's not going to know what to do with it. When he sees you treating him like that, with that reverence and that deference and that awe, he's going to go, what do you want? You want a new car? <laughs> because, guys, we spend our whole lives fighting for that, striving for that, trying to get that from somewhere. We see the guys on the football team. We see the guys on the news. We see the guys on TV. And we see the respect and the adulation and the reverence that they get. And we're like, man, you know, when guys, you know, when guys see those movies about Elvis or whatever it is, and the girls are just rah, screaming and reaching out to grab him, every, in the back of every guy's heart, they go, what do I got to do <laughs> to get a piece of that? I'm serious. I'm giving you the, the secrets here, ladies. Your husband doesn't talk. I'm talking for him. I talk for a living. It's part of what I do. Okay? You give him that. He's not going anywhere. I promise you that much. And you're, you're going to be amazed. He might actually start to live up to those expectations. Men, according to all the polls, would rather be respected than loved. Premarital counseling, I'm telling you. Ladies, oh, love, no problem. Guys always feel like they should say love 
But when you actually ask a question or two, they're like, well, respect. And the older they get, the quicker they'll say, respect. I can live without love. I can live without romance. I cannot live without people respecting me. That's how men are. It increases with time and age. So just like ladies, I was telling the fellas, love her the way she needs to be loved. You've got to love him the way he needs to be loved. My uh, sister, my daughter, Jocelyn, Josie May, uh, she's lately been watching that movie Enchanted, that old Disney movie. Remember that one? And there's a whole song in there where she, it's called, how does, how does She Know That You Love Her? And it's all the different ways that guys can show love to their girl. And it's always like, you know, take her out dancing, buy her flowers, you know, pay off a mariachi to stand under your door or something like that. I don't think that's in the movie, but it would work maybe. But I, I, I have actually thought about this. Like, it'd be really interesting to like cover that song and flip it around from the guy's perspective. Because it would be very different. Like he doesn't really care if you want to you know, take him out to a moonlight dinner. That's not really what he needs. Because men need the same love, different. Okay? Eve was brought to Adam as his helper, as his help meet for him. The person he needed to fulfill his mission. Not to have her own plans in that marriage relationship. Sorry, guys. The Lord has given me a greater courage to stand on the word of God the older I get. It is abundantly clear from Scripture that the husband is the head of the home like Christ is head of the church, and the wife is there to assist and help and come alongside him. Now, once again, there are two errors to avoid here in this, this respect. The first one is instead of respect, we have intimidation. This is where, well, he is the leader is equated with dictatorship and violence. This leads to a cringing, fearful sort of woman who never speaks, never says anything, stays off in the corner, and is just kind of around if she needs to be barked at. It's, you know, they're really the same errors, just flip-flopped, right? But you need to know that even in the Bible, which talks about, like, let a wife submit to her husband in all things as unto Christ, the, even the Bible's most godly women could be pretty shrewd contributors sometimes, couldn't they? Read the story of Ruth again. That is a hilarious story if you want to try to spiritualize it and ignore what's actually going on in that story. That Boaz needs to be the kinsman redeemer and he needs to redeem our land and he needs to marry you. So sweet pea, let's get you all gussied up and send him over to his house. <laughs> Shrewdness. Bathsheba with David when he's getting ready to give the kingdom over. She's conspiring and making all these plans. Now, are they being deceptive and sinful? No, they're using their their womanly charms, shall we say, in order to help their husband do the right thing. So that's biblical too. Let's not forget that. This is not just to be the, the silent standing behind, never walk next to me, always walk behind me kind of thing. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. That's intimidation. Number two, though, is domination. And this is much more common, where the wife simply shoves the husband aside. Whether by dominating his will, women do not have to physically overpower men in order to overpower them. Because women usually are better in those emotional, personal interactions. Because guys are, you know, if we can't figure it out, we'll just take it outside. You can't do that with your woman. And also, when a lady begins to cry, very often men do not know what to do. And women, some women, will weaponize that against their husbands. Shame on them. Shame on you if you've ever done that. And can bring men to a place where they realize, feel like they have no control over their life, no control over their wives, and they're just sort of roommates with this person. Or sometimes it's simply disregarding him. Come in and say, I'm going to do what I want, I'm going to have my career, I'm going to have my life, and if you want to come along with that, fine, but don't you dare ever try to tell me what to do. These are not godly 
traits. We see this in the church even. For some reason, it is absolutely abominable in the church for a man to strike his wife or to uh, view pornography or to walk away from the marriage. Yeah, those things are abominable. But it's somehow okay for a woman to be shoving her, her uh, elbows in and pushing the man aside. I'm going to do my thing my way and no one can tell me what to do. And that's not okay either. That's a great way to drive your husband away from you, ladies. And this trend is cultural, and it has led to the most miserable women and the most miserable men that we've ever seen. Nobody's happy with this arrangement. So then, we're not doing that. So ladies, how can you respect your husband? I got four for you. These do not all start with S. I started great, and I lost it. So anyway, how do you respect your husband? Number one, you submit to him. This is right in the text. It's over and over again. The Bible says the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. And you will be held to account, ladies, for how you submit to your husband. If he has to stand before God and give an account for you, and say, Lord, I, I tried, but she was, she was unruly. She wouldn't listen to me. She did whatever she wanted, and I couldn't help it. God is going to then turn to you like God turned to Eve and say, how dare you? I told you. Well, yeah, but like that, that passage has been abused, God, and I don't want, I'm my own person. I'm independent. I'm a strong woman. I'm a girl boss. And God goes, my word says, submit to your husband in all things as unto Christ. So, when a decision must be made, talk it over. Raise objections. Nothing wrong with that. But in the end, submit means do as he says, ladies. There's no cute definition here. Let him lead especially when they're young. Those of you that are young couples or are about to get married, when he's, you first get married and he's learning how to do this, you've got to give him so much freedom to lead the household and not make him feel like if he messes up, he's ruining his chances for life. He'll love you for it if you let him do that. And if you let him lead well, he'll have no problem bringing you into the process because you go, now we've got two heads on it, but I can make the ultimate decision and we're going to be okay. And I will also say, and I don't mind saying this, ladies, you will find a liberation and a freedom in that as well. As you submit to your husband and you know, I, I love this man enough to marry him, have children with him, live alongside him, I can let him make the decisions. And I also love Jesus enough to, to do what Jesus has told me to do, which is doing what he said to do. Well, what if he makes the wrong decision? Well, that gets us to number two. Stand by him. Stand by your man. Once he's made a decision, stand by him. Do not keep bringing it up, questioning him, and certainly never berate your husband, ladies. That is so not okay that he's just got to sit there and listen. But the second he raises his voice, we, we cry abuse, and he's somehow emotionally abusing you. You're in this together. If he asks for your opinion, you give it. But you keep in mind that sometimes when your husband is asking for your opinion, what he's really asking is, are you with me on this? And if you say, yes, I am. To know that you'll never leave. To know that you're not going to go behind my back and get your mother involved. Or you're not going to get all your friends and pull them and say, hey, I've done, I've done my research and this is what I think we ought to do. Stand by. If he's made his decision, ladies, go with it. If he says, this is what I want to do with my life, if the decision's been made, okay then, this is what we're doing. If he says, I feel like we need to move and it's been decided, you stand with him. And when your parents come in and say, how can you do this? How can you let him do that? You say, I stand by my husband. Well, honey, you've got a voice too. You've got a mind of your own. You've got your own. I stand by my husband. When everybody else is against him, if you're standing right there next to him, 
That's a man that you're going to keep, ladies. I promise you that. Number three, cheer him on. Cheer him on, ladies. You need to be your husband's biggest cheerleader. Ask him about his ideas. Ask him about his interests and his pursuits. I don't care if they don't interest you. You love him, don't you? Let him sit there and rant on and on and on about the football game that you don't really care about. He cares about it. Get excited about it because he's excited about it. And then encourage him in those things. If your husband comes home after a terrible day at work, breaking his back, losing out on a promotion, not making the money he thought he was, and he rolls up in the driveway and he just has to catch his breath a bit, and he walks in the door, and you go and you say, where have you been? You're 30 minutes late. I told you to be home at this time. What have you just done? You've just further driven a wedge. But let's flip the story. What if he then walks in the door after all that, and you go, you're home, and you throw your arms around him, and you say, welcome home, and you kiss him right on the lips. You say, dinner's ready, come on in. You've made yourself look nice. The kids are you know, somewhat together. Maybe you kick them out into the woods like we do sometimes to get them out of the house. But you, and you say, just tell me how it goes. He says, look, I don't really want to talk about it right now. Okay, that's fine. We don't need to talk about it. And you just do all of that. And then he, when he finally says, ah, it just was a rough day. And you hear it, you say, you've got this. You're going to get out there and go get it tomorrow. That's what guys want from you ladies. They want to hear that you're with them. If he does that, then he can wake up the next morning and he can say, one more round. Let's go. That's what he needs from you to be his cheerleader. Don't be petty with your husband. Don't be snide with your husband. That's kind of become another trend, too, that the lady, the wife, has to be all sarcastic and snide with her husband. Where did that come from? It says to, rev to reverence your husband. To cheer him on. And that means in front of other people, too. And I also, without getting too deep into this, ladies, I, this needs to be said for men and women, but I'll put this in this place here. You need to make love to your husband. He needs that from you. You might, well, I don't feel like the emotional connection is there. That's the love you need. The love he needs is different. He needs to know that you're with me, that this is still here, that I'm okay, and that I'm okay. All right, we can go from this. I can keep on going. You need to remain desirable to your husband, ladies. Don't make him chase you. Don't make him beg. In fact, if you really want to get into it, 1 Corinthians 7 says you don't even have a right over your own body if you are married. Neither does he over his. But I find that this is the area where it gets most often ignored. Cheer him on. Be his cheerleader so that when he gets out to get smacked in the face by the world, which he's doing for you, by the way. Because this is what guys say, I go to work and I get smacked around by this boss and I come home and nobody loves me, nobody cares for me here. What's the famous Rodney Dangerfield quote? It's not, I don't get no love. I don't get no respect. That's what they need. They need that respect. When he watches that, you know, that guy and score a touchdown and stand in the end zone like this and there's thousands of people cheering for him, once again, how do I get a piece of that? If he's got you doing it for him, he doesn't need to go anywhere else to find it. That's how affairs start. Not, not often, not always, physically. It's like, well, here's a woman that actually, actually thinks I'm okay. Actually thinks I'm doing a good job. She actually respects me. So the way you prevent that, ladies, is you be there first. And number four, this is an internal and a personal one. Admire your husband. Admire him. Cultivate a heart of admiration for the way he does things. For his potential and his accomplishments, look up to your husband. Remind him that you look up to him. 
And this can be external also. Talk him up to your friends. Don't ever talk down your spouse in front of other people, by the way. You want your girlfriends, ladies, walking away from a conversation with you, wishing they were married to your husband in a good way. Man, I wish I had a husband that treated me that way, or talked to me that way, or that was rising up that way, or had that kind of potential. Like, wow, uh, that's, that's really special. I hope you know what I'm getting at here. I'm not trying to be weird. But they should be like, wow, I'm so jealous of her that she has that. That's what you should be doing. To your kids, especially. Dad's so stupid. Pop that child immediately, ladies. How dare you say that about your father? Don't you know who your father is? Don't you know what he's done for you? Don't you know what he's accomplished and earned and done for this family? Which means you need to know those things, don't you? You've got to admire him personally. You've got to take the time every day. And it may be hard to see sometimes. But Lord, remind me of why this is a great man that I'm married to. So that way you won't be tempted. When somebody else strolls along and says, hey, baby, how's it going? You say, yeah, you can keep walking. You think a compliment is going to impress me? Don't you know who I've got at home? Take the time to admire your husband. And I'll tell you, ladies... And so I have to say this, I feel like the guys get beat up an awful lot on this. When a guy hears that, and he's sitting next to you, and he hears me say it, and I say, submit to him, he goes, yes. Stand by him, yes. <laughs> Cheer him on, oh, I wish. Admire him, oh, please hear this. There are husbands in this room saying, I really hope she hears what he's saying right now. Because if I get in the car and I try to say it, she's going to get mad at me. I promise you, ladies, I'm kind of an expert in how men think, because I am one of those this is what the Bible teaches, and this is also what men need. 1 Peter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You read through the book of Genesis, she'll say, My Lord, I'm not doing that for him. Listen, ladies, if that is your immediate response, you need a heart check right now. I'm not saying you need to go home and call him Lord. But if the very idea causes you to revolt towards that, then you have not learned Christ and the way he would have you live as a wife in your house. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Just as the guys, ladies, have all this strength and all this force and this drive that they've got going, you have something else. You've got all that charm that God has given you, all that beauty that still causes him to look your way, your words, the way you speak, all of these things. That is the, the strength that God has given to you. It's different. It's good. You should leverage all of that towards showing respect towards your husband, showing the same love different. What does he need? Ask him if you don't know. And if he doesn't know the answer, then wait until he does. He needs you to be this for him. You need him to be the one that's going to take care of you. you got to take care of him. If he's a boxer going out every round, getting punched in the face, when he collapses in the corner, you've got to be the one giving him water, rubbing out the muscle cramps, checking his eyes, making sure he's okay. you got this one. Now get back out there. Respect your husband. Show the same love different. Now, at this point, it would be very easy to start pointing fingers well, I would be happy to do that for him. But he has done blah, 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 whatever it is. Don't you know what he says to me? Don't you know what he did? Yeah, well, he, if he would get up and work, then maybe I would have something to respect. Or 
Yeah, I would love to love her, but you know what? I stopped doing that because I wasn't getting respect from her even when I did show love and romance to her. So you know what? I'm doing my own thing, and she can just deal with it. Jesus has called Christians to be cycle stoppers. When we go round and round and round, striking each other on the cheek, the Christian is to be the one that takes the last blow and then steps back. Okay, I am no longer going to press my rights towards you. I'm simply going to start loving you. Or ladies, I'm simply going to start respecting you now. And you will surprise each other. If you've got a tense, fraught marriage, and one person starts loving or respecting the other, the other one's going to notice and look at you all suspicious. What is this? What, what are you doing here? Well, you do it for a while. And sometimes in marriage, unfortunately, we can test each other. Oh, so you respect me now? Let's see how you respect me when I pull this. Because they think you're lying, and they're going to try to push you to expose the fact that you're lying. But if you can say, I'm willing to do for you what Jesus did for me, which is stand in the way of death, take it upon myself so that something good can come out of this. Did you know that marriage is to be a living parable of Christ and the church? This is what Paul said. Read Ephesians chapter 5. Read the whole thing together as a couple. It would be great. That the church represents, or the, the wife represents the church and their relationship to Christ. With that obedience and that submission and that utter devotion and loyalty. How important, ladies, is loyalty to your husband? It's pretty important. Maybe he needs it from you more than anybody else. But also... Christ's relationship to the church, how he gave himself for the church. He died to himself and gave it all up so that he could draw them to himself and have somebody. Gentlemen, do you know how to sweep your wife off her feet? It's to give of your own life for her. Not so that you can get something out of her. Not so that you can get something for yourself. But to do something that is causing you to pay a cost just so that you can be with her. That's why all those movies, they end with some dramatic gesture. Even if it's the most tame, mundane movie, at the end, somebody's got to be like about to fall off a cliff. Because there has to be that moment where he steps in and risks his life for her. Because that's what Jesus did for the church. That's why it's in there, fellas. And fellas, don't you have that same desire, that same thing that swells in your heart when you see a movie or read a book about some hopeless charge against an impossible foe? Like, I want to do that. Do it for her every day in your life. Get back up and go one more round with your boss. Get out there and go one more round with that neighbor that's been harassing your family. Get out there and do something about it for her. And then get home and be tender and loving and sweet towards her. She'll love you for it. How well is your marriage living this parable out? If people were to look to you, somebody were to say, how do I know the gospel? Could you legitimately say, well, just look at our marriage. It's just like this. Ooh, I don't know about that one. Well, why not? It's supposed to be. Are you working towards it at least? Is it more like that now than it was last year? Or 10 years ago or 20 years ago? I sure hope it is. The world has dismantled marriage. It's an oppressive patriarchal institution of Western oppression and needs to be turned, taken apart. Those are not words that I made up. We've absorbed a lot of bad lessons in the church. I've been to so many men's conferences where the whole point was to slap men across the face. How dare you be like that? 
not realizing that we were imbibing the same thing the world was imbibing. And I've heard from my wife and my mother and others, like, we've been to these things that are for women. and all They're not teaching us to love our husbands and submit to our husbands. They're teaching us to get out there and get our own because we're God's princess and he better see that and recognize that or else. That's not Christian. That's not godly. What is that? And the world is getting sick of it. And remember a few years I said that there was going to be a cultural vomit with all of this stuff? When this, this whole... Uh, Critical theory, wokeness, whatever you want to call it. It's kind of tired now to call it that. But I said, don't worry. The world's going to get sick of this stuff. It's too weird. You're starting to see it. People are like, you know what? I don't like this. Somebody else goes, you know what? I don't like this much either. What were we doing before this? But we don't want to go back to what we were doing before this. We want to go back to the word of God. They're trying to fix it, but we're not going to overcorrect with them. We're just going to do it God's way. So ladies, respect your husbands. Submit to your husbands. Revere and even fear your husband. Do not live your life in such a way that if he ever asks you to do something, it's a disaster in your house. One time he said, honey, I, I, I know we're doing this with the kids, but I don't think it's a good idea. And you burst into tears and it was a big scene and it ended up being him apologizing to you rather than you submitting to your husband. You think he's ever going to come to you and try to lead you again? Respect your husbands. Walk out, just look at, look at him every morning and say, I respect you, Mr. whatever his last name is. I respect you. And I'll be like, oh, okay. You say it often enough, maybe around time 50, 60, he'll go, I wonder if she means it. I wonder if she, and then he'll start to look forward to that. And husbands, this is Mother's Day. Remember to love your wives the way she needs to be loved. And Mother's Day is an outstanding time, fathers, to teach your children how you love a woman. This is how we're going to take care of your mom, because this is what women need. And for your daughters to see, this is how a man treats his wife. Don't settle for anybody else. Don't settle for that. Love your wives the way she needs to be loved because we're all really communicating the same love, but we all need to receive and show that same love different. 